This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point. Wow. The Fates, the gods are with the gods. Felicity, it's almost time to get those deck chairs on the back of the Utes. Uh. Get excited, everyone. <laughs> it's grand final week. You're listening to the Outer Sanctum. Yay. Hello, all our beloved listeners and all my gorgeous girls looking at me. It is such a thrill to be here in grand final week. How are you, Dr. Kate Sear? Um, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to the grand final. It's a great week. How are you, Ticker Tape Lucy? I'm great. I'm taking it one day at a time. I'm just going to do what the coach asks of me. I'm just here for the team. I've asked the question... Every week now, and I'm going to ask it again. Alicia, sometimes, how are you feeling? I'm pumped, yellow and black, red, yellow and blue. Perfect. And Felicity Race, how are you? I'm not quite the rainbow that Alicia (laughs) is, but I'm good. I'm excited. Who doesn't love this week? And for anyone who's lucky enough to be in Victoria like us, a public holiday. I know, that is exciting. Um, Nicole Hayes is still um, on a leave of absence until the grand final's over. We do have a message from her, a telegram, if you will, that we'll play (laughs) towards the end of the show. I'm Emma Race. I'll be your host for this, which is our last, well, kind of our last episode for the season. I don't I don't know if you guys have been doing um, the stats on this, but 237 days ago, we started with the Women's League and here we are at the end of the men's. We've gone back to back seasons. It's the first time it's happened. And throughout, there have been omens, 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 omens. And chocolate. (laughs) Dr. Kate's here coming to you for the last time this year with Omen Watch. Thanks, Em. So this is a bit of a bigger segment because I wanted to wrap together everything that we've learned throughout the year in Omen Watch and to leave you with my prediction of who's going to win the grand final. So some of our more recent listeners will know that we do this segment each week but may not know the origins of the segment. So I just wanted to take us back to the start of the year because I began this discussion at the start of the season because, as we all know, there are often important omens in footy, like Legs 11, which I talked about last week, or if you see a cat pecking a dead Magpie and all of these messages provide cat pecking, <laughs> but good. Yeah, or clawing. Maybe. <laughs> That's maybe it. That's Eating. right. That's right. Um, anyway, all of those omens provide what I think is clear and unambiguous, incontrovertible signs about what will happen at the footy. I think we're all in agreement on mm. that. So mm. when I began Omen Watch this year, I prophesized not only about who might win the grand final, but as you'll all recall, that the end of the world was near. And the reason I 
I said this was because I'd identified what I thought was an extraordinarily disturbing and unique combination of factors that together signalled doom. And this, this was first and foremost that Richmond at that stage of the season was undefeated and at the same time Kim Jong-un was testing intercontinental ballistic missiles and threatening to nuke Australia. So those signs of doom have actually only gathered pace throughout the year. So Trump tweets weekly now about destroying North Korea. Kim Jong-un has said that Trump's going to pay dearly for his behaviour. And while that's been going along, all the while, Richmond has kept winning and winning and winning. So now it's grand final week and the Tigers are in the grand final. They're aiming to win the first premiership, their first premiership since 1980. And by rights, I think if they do, I think we all know that the world will end shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. But there's a glitch in the plan, and I've been keeping this up my sleeve, and I'm going to announce it for the first time today. There is. Lucy knows it because we've been working on this. Now, this glitch signals back to a prophecy from the year 1980 when the Tigers won their last flag and to a famous prediction that the end of one reign of terror and sadness would come but that it depended upon mutual destruction. I'm talking, of course, about Harry Potter. and his bid to defeat the Dark Lord, Voldemort. Hmm. So fans of Harry Potter will will recall that Sybil Trelawney, who was the seer of that series, much like I'm the seer of this one, (laughs) delivered a prophecy to Albus Dumbledore at the Hogshead pub in the year 1980. And the prophecy went like this. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches... Born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seventh month dies, and the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal. But he will have power the Dark Lord knows not, and either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. Now this was taken to mean that Harry Potter would defeat Lord Voldemort, but would pay a price by dying in the process, much like I have feared that Richmond would win the premiership, but then the world would end as a result. But of course, and this is a spoiler alert for the two people in the world who haven't seen Harry Potter, that isn't what happens at all. Harry defeats the Dark Lord and survives. And so I wondered to myself, who is Richmond's Harry? So if we look at the prophecy more closely, I've had to adapt it slightly because it doesn't fully work. (laughs) So the first part of the, the prophecy is that someone who's born as the seventh seventh month dies. Now, if we take December, which is the month of the birth of Jesus Christ, as the first month, June is the seventh month. And there is a player from Richmond born on the 26th of June, so born as the seventh month dies. And that player, ladies and gentlemen, is Dustin Martin. (laughs) I just got tingles. (laughs) Thrice defied, you'll hear the prophecy, thrice defied, well... Richmond made the finals in 2013, 14 and 15. Those are the only times that Dusty's ever played in the finals and on each occasion they lost. So thrice he was defied. There's the mention of distinguishing marks. Well, of course, Harry Potter has the lightning scar and Dusty has those neck tattoos. And, of course, we all know, as I said earlier, that Harry somehow defies the prophecy and survives. That's after a brief stint with a fetus at a train station in the sky. But don't ask me what that part of the film or the books is all about. I don't get it. Anyway, the point is that Richmond is going to win. Dustin Martin is the saviour. He will win the Norm Smith medal. He will bring peace to the world and return the Premiership Cup to Richmond. Thus it is and thus it is spoken. Oh, round of applause. Wow. Yeah. Doc, you've done yourself. That is how you omen watch.
Well done, Katie. Let's get to the games that we watched last week because Richmond actually were outstanding and they clawed their way back and they, I think, have belief and they've given belief and Adelaide, similarly, are just on fire. So we are looking down the barrel of the two greatest teams of the year playing off against each other. I don't think... Does anyone have regrets about who's playing off in the grand final? No, No, I think it's pretty good. It's great. So what did you like from last week's round? Well, that Adelaide-Geelong game, I think Adelaide played almost a flawless game. And for me, it was Charlie Cameron and Eddie Betts. Yeah. They just were extraordinary. And that mark that Charlie Cameron took where he was just so high, it was just awesome. I he thought flew to the moon. He surely did. I think he marked it at the highest point, mm. we would say. Um, they really announced themselves mm. as, as the favourite. And I was lucky enough to go along the next night to the MCG. Um, as you recall, I went by myself and I thought, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to listen to the radio because I'm here by myself could not hear it. I've never been to a sporting event that it has been as loud or the atmosphere has been so palpable. So it's it was, 95% of the audience. It was extraordinary, yeah. I was sitting next to a Carlton supporter who was going for GWS, so mm. there was one. I saw two sort of, I guess, slightly disappointing things from Geelong, which was obviously they lost, um, and then the demise of Cameron Ling, who was really relegated to just holding up the sound. Oh, re- my gosh, like he was so The loud. decibel metre. <laughs> so every time they would cross to him during that game on the, the TV coverage, it would be to say whether or not the crowd was louder or softer than a jumbo jet. And I thought, you know, is, is that the best use of his expert commentary? That was weird. <laughs> it was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. But can I just say a big shout-out? Chris Scott was he, so much grace in his press conference. Yeah. You know, when they – it wasn't a great night, obviously, for the Geelong Football Club, but – the way he dealt with that, that was not what I was expecting. I didn't expect that man to come to that press conference and speak with such humility and admiration for what Adelaide had done. So, mm. uh, yeah. Speaking of grace, I was also lucky enough to be at the Richmond game, Lucy, which was an incredible experience. And I took my mum along who, um, you know, it was just filled with joy. It was wonderful, actually, to be there and to see that. But speaking of grace, what a wonderful gesture at the end of the game from Trent Cotchen, who ran almost the length of the field, actually, mm. to hug Brett Delidio, it's uh, like a scene from a team, movie. It teammate. Was. It was. It was. It was. It was like the end of Shawshank Redemption or something. <laughs> it was, but it was beautiful, and I thought really gracious um, on Cochin's part. I really thought Cochin proved that he is the leader that um, that they have needed, and I thought the amount of second efforts um, from him, but also from Rioli, I thought they were game changers for Richmond, mm. and I can't wait to see them on the biggest stage. I think they're really ready for it, and I think you know the other thing that can't get lost in all of this is what this would mean to the Adelaide Crows and I think I was really struck by the emotion at the end of that game just seeing what it meant to all those players and and to see Eddie Betts just be overcome with joy and have some tears when you know realizing that he was actually going to play in a grand Mm. final it there are so many stories which was similar to watching Jack Rewalt I was surprised to see the emotion and the ugly cry that he was doing before Mm. he kind of pulled himself together the one thing that was interesting that people were kind of talking about even before the game finished was the bump, the cotton bump. Mm. I just, I actually didn't think there was anything in it. But Do you know, I, I looked at it so many times and was completely on the fence. I thought this this could go either way here. You know, he, he clearly didn't have his hands in any way going for a ball, but I also looking but at it going... came away with the ball. Yes, but when you look at the bump, mm. he, he wasn't going in for the ball. He was going in with a shoulder, but I don't think it was a, you know, it, it didn't look like it was a malicious 
type act. And so I, I really 100% couldn't pick it. I just, mm. I didn't know which way that was going to go. I was watching it with many people and they sort of came on the side that it was sort of deliberate. And, and you're right, it could go either way, mm. but it, it would have been such a shame if he wasn't playing. So I understand yeah. the gravity of that. There is talk, obviously, that the match review panel next year is going to sort of change, change up, which is quite interesting. But I wanted to say that so many people I know watch the GWS Richmond game with, you know, their hearts in their throats. But a couple of people I know actually got GWS memberships just so they could go as Richmond fans. And I did read that GWS's subscriber base is up there. Wow. Yeah, but I wonder if, so how, what that little bump was like because it, it came from different quarters and different people that it's they actually genius. got out of membership. Yeah. It, genius is, strategy. it is really genius. You're circumnavigating the mm. system. I love that. Yeah, I just wanted to say um, on back on, if I can just briefly, the um, MRP issue. The one disappointment for me is that there's so much commentary during the week about how it would be disappointing for Cochin to miss out on a grand final and, and, and you know, that the, the MRP should take that into account as if they should never be adjudicating with the no. game in mind. No, it needs to no. be adjudicated consistently. And, and the irony, of course, is that people are always saying that the MRP is inconsistent and a bit of a lottery and then they call for it to be exactly. inconsistent. It was also fairly disappointing for Dylan Shield. Yeah, um, that's right. Not be able to His play out that out. game. Yeah. So. yeah, and he'd been playing really well too. Exactly. Yeah. Which is interesting in context of the Brownlow because he did see Dangerfield. He was fine on the night, but he's subsequently come out and said that there needs to be a review. So I think that's – he obviously wasn't that fine. The AFL must get so nervous each year when there's oh, a totally. – you know, It was looking close there for a while. It was nice it? that yeah. Dusty won it. You know, so outright yeah. comprehensive. So the other games were also amazing on the weekend. I went to the VFLW Grand Final, which was amazing. The Creekers against Darren Falcons, and the Falks uh, won it, which was amazing. And there's been a lot of talk. There was actually an article in the Age about what's going to happen to Darren next year. And what's interesting is, and this feeds into the AFLW licenses that with teams and licenses within the VFLW competition, they are trying to align them with already established clubs so yeah. it can follow that route. But yeah. what was interesting to mm. see in the VFL was that Port Melbourne won and they're not Affiliated, attached to a yeah. franchise and so and Darabin's much the same. And it made me think, we will talk about the AFLW licences, but how lovely would it be if there was a Tiwi Islands team that's not affiliated yeah. but that that's the way that it will serve mm. the competition best. I wanted to say one thing about, actually a couple of things about that uh, grand final Firstly, I know we've seen some news come out this week that Hodge, Hodge, formerly Hawthorne's captain, Luke Hodge, looks like he might be going to Brisbane. Look, it's been a tough week for Hawkers fans, but that's right. <laughs> Stick with me. Um, that, you know, if you're looking for alternate um, career pathways after playing football, Russell Robertson sang the anthem at the VFLW Grand Final. So, so there's cool. a, there's an there's option. There's a job for you. There's a job for you. Hodgie. But I also want to shout out to Chloe Malloy, who is probably going to go number one or two in the draft, coming up in the AFLW draft. She was unbelievable on the weekend. She got a massive knock. She got, actually got sandwiched from both sides. It looked horrific. Went on to kick a goal mm. and then basically come off in writhing pain, looking like she's done an uh, ACL. ACL? Or no, not ACL. A, That's not what I meant. Which one's the shoulder one? AC joint. A, there. Yeah, that's the one. She dislocated it. Yeah. Mm. So the, I've never seen a tougher 
kick at goal. Like her, she pretty she much just gritted her teeth, lined it up, yeah. and, and kicked an, an extraordinary goal. And, and what, then went off with a dislocated. What shoulder. was amazing once she'd kicked the goal is as the team were running in to congratulate her, she was holding them back. She was giving them the don't argue because she didn't want them to come close to her shoulder. But also a massive shout out to Karen Paxman who got best on ground, and she was just a machine. If you if you really want to sort of take it to the next level with Chloe, she actually came back onto the ground. After yeah. that, because yeah. there was, you know, Diamond Creek were really coming at Darabin at the end, and I think she just she's one of those players that wants to be out there. You know, we we see that often that those players who can kind of put their injuries to one side and just want to be there to try and get their team over the line. Yeah. Amazing and amazing to see what will happen going forward because I think there's a big question mark about where, how those teams will line up next year. And there were some amazing score lines as well, though, from the rest of the games of that really round. There really were, and it, and it wasn't just confined to, to Victoria. So the SANFL went down to one point Sturt over Port Adelaide. The VFL game was decided with a kick on the siren. So four points, Port Melbourne beat the Tigers. The TAC Cup that night went two points. Again, a kick after the siren could have won it for the Sandy Dragons, but Geelong came away with that one. And in the VAFA, St Kevin's beat Collegians by three points. And we were very happy to see that Mitch Brown won best on ground. (laughs) So well done. Yeah, You think all the drafting and um, the way that the systems are working out, it's it's all working to the advantage of the supporters, isn't it? That you I get think, to see these really close games. I think the message here is to bring your defibrillator on Saturday. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. I needed my defibrillator. 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 I needed my defibrillator. AFLW licences yes. were announced yesterday, and look, we swiftly got over the fact that Hawthorne hasn't been given one or a date been attributed to when they will, <laughs> because we were so thrilled for so many clubs who have been given these licences. And I think there's still uncertainty about what the right or wrong way to go about it is. Mm. But were you guys pretty happy? I was pretty happy for North, I have to say. So happy. And happy to see that North and Geelong will both be there next year. And actually, I think it's a really good decision to only introduce two clubs next year. The year Um, after. 2019. 2019. I'm out by a year with my... You know what I mean. Yeah. In the first year of introducing new teams. The for the year after, some of it didn't make sense to me. Like I, I have to admit, I'm struggling to understand the Gold Coast mm. decision. Um, I just don't know that uh, there must be a demand, there must be a market and a pool of talent in the Gold Coast and that region. Are I, you being facetious? A little, yeah, <laughs> a little. I feel like it comes from the same clause that plays the Giants theme over the MCG speakers after they kick a goal in a prelim. Hmm. What's that about? Yeah, that I think there's, happen, a special, there's a special department that looks after. Was that over the speaker or was that the live band? Because there was live no, instruments. Over the speaker. So after it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a bit like the Tigers roar when they um, yeah. kick a goal. But yeah. on Gold Coast, I mean, I feel um, I feel I can say this because I grew up on the Gold Coast and I can say that people on the Gold Coast generally, I mean, there's obviously a fan base of sorts, but... AFL is not on the radar of people growing up Mm. on the Gold Coast. Rugby is by far the most dominant sport. And so uh, it really puzzled me as well. That's the one that really stuck in my mind. It's quite a strange decision, given that I think the men's team 
has really been struggling to then add a women's team into what is a very thin fan base already that the AFL is trying to build is strange. And the only thing that I can think of, pure speculation, is that the AFL is giving the Gold Coast a women's licence in the hope that that will pull new fans into the sport, people who are looking for a women's sport in that area, and that they will then filter across to the men's game. And look, you know, entitled to view on uh, on the merits of that, but I think it's a very unusual decision. Anecdotally, I have heard that the talent pool is pretty strong for female footy in Queensland. So Queensland's yes, big, yeah, too. it's I growing think, enormously. I think maybe there's something there. So that's great. You know, if you own the competition, you get to make some of the rules. Yeah, I suppose, Lucy. <laughs> The one thing I'd like to not ever get, you know, forget about AFLW is how joyous it is. And I'd just like to read a little quote from um, a friend of the pod, Becca Hain, who put on Twitter yesterday, I don't think people know how much this means to us. And I think that's the overwhelming message from us mm. as well, that while, you know, we might be a bit disappointed that, you know, we're not going to see Hawthorne in the next few years, I'll be quite grey by the time, I would imagine, mm. that it's something that really gives us so much joy and optimism and you know I would just encourage people if your team doesn't have a women's team find another one get on board yeah just support it um there's been a lot of talk this week about sport and politics and I mean we talked about it last week here and when I say here I mean Australia this week it has just blown up because overseas we've been having Kaepernick watch all year Mm. and his message is now not lost on anyone and everyone is weighing into the debate but one thing that we have heard domestically is sport and politics should not (laughs) should not mix (laughs) you're right well you're right Emmett has gone global with Donald Trump declaring war of sorts on the NFL and the NBA and there's been a lot of discourse around that we've seen this week Tony Abbott weigh in and I quote from him, which I don't like to do often, but footy fans shouldn't be subjected to a politicised grand final. Sport is sport. And he's referring to a petition by an ex-NRL player, Tony Wall, who's put up a change.org petition because he doesn't want to hear Macklemore sing his chart-topping song, Same Love. And to quote from him, he said his family would feel uncomfortable. That word uncomfortable just... Keeps rearing its head, doesn't it? Just stab myself in the eye. And I think uncomfortable is code for privilege. Mm. Um, But someone who had something really valuable to say about being uncomfortable is Greg Popovich, who's the coach of the San Antonio Spurs. And I'd just like to play you a little grab. You know, obviously, you know, race is the elephant in the room, and we we all understand that. But unless it is talked about constantly, it's not going to get better. People get bored. Oh, is it that again? They pull in a race card again. Why do we have to talk about that? Well, because it, it's uncomfortable. And there has to be an uncomfortable element in the discourse for anything to change. You know, whether it's the LGBT movement or, you know, uh, women's suffrage, uh, race, it doesn't matter. Uh, people have to be made to feel uncomfortable, and especially white people, because we're comfortable. He said it pretty well. Isn't it refreshing to hear a coach speak like that? And, you know, imagine thinking that sport happens in a bubble. Mm. Yeah, exactly. There's been a lot of really interesting material around this week and Greg Popovich's comments were fabulous. But um, I just wanted to give a shout out to a couple of things that I think were very important to have a look at. One is, first of all, that there is a New York Times opinion piece that was written over the last couple of days by Eric Reid and it's called Why Colin Kaepernick and I Decided to Take a Knee. We'll tweet it out, but have a look for it if you can. 
it's a wonderful piece, but one of the things that Eric Reed says in that is that it should go without saying that I love my country and I'm proud to be an American. But to quote James Baldwin, exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticise her perpetually. And there's been a number of other really excellent articles written too. One of the things that I was listening to yesterday is an edition of the podcast called Pod Save the People, where about the first 15 minutes or so was dedicated to a discussion of this issue. And they made some really important points that you know, the discussion is about taking a knee in the United States is suddenly being conflated with or um, mixed up with opposition to Donald Trump. But that Kaepernick and Eric Reid and others were originally protesting police brutality in the United States and they shared some statistics which which I think are important to to come back to because this is at the heart of the protest. So they made the point that 883 people have been killed by police so far this year in the United States. Only six of those have led to an officer being charged with any crime at all, so that's 1%, and typically about half of those charged might end up with a conviction. They also note that black people in the United States are three times more likely to be killed by the police, and that's at the heart of what the protest is about. I think, Kate, you said it best last week when you said, by asking people to keep quiet, you're asking them to do something political. And to people like Tony Wall, who is worried about feeling uncomfortable while a song's being played, I'd like you all to just have a think about how it would feel to be part of a community group who feels uncomfortable all the time and you know, maybe understand that, you know, there's there's a place for these voices being in sport. Because it's not just uncomfortable, it's uh, no, violence uncomfortable. and many other attacks on them. It is. It kind of brings me to a thought that representation really matters and that's something that we've talked about a lot this year and for that reason we wanted to catch up with ABC broadcaster and sports commentator a woman who has really led the charge in changing the face and the voice around football. It was our great pleasure to speak to Kelly Underwood. I've spent a bit of time with you this year, Cal. We have. We have. We've had some fun. We've had some fun. It's been a real pleasure for me to hang out with you because you've been such a pioneer of women's voices in footy. So thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me on. In that, thinking about that, thinking about the representation of women in footy, how much has this year meant to you and how do you review it thinking that this is the year that the AFLW kicked off? Um, I mean, look, it pro- it just blew our minds, didn't it? It went so much better than anyone ever anticipated. I remember talking to a, a couple of people involved in the TV broadcast in the lead up and they used the term, look, it'll probably be a bit of a slow burner. And I, I just had an inkling that that was completely wrong. I knew that this was more about than just kicks, marks and handballs and that it was, you know, it was about gender equality. It was about social change. Um, it was about, yeah, more, more than just sort of the actual game of footy. It felt like a movement. That's what it felt like to me. So to go along, to be involved, it was just pure joy. From the very first start when we had the launch and I remember thinking, you know, it was all the the biggest male leaders in not just the game but in politics were there and the representation and it made me reflect back to my early days of going to, you know, the first ever media conferences and being overawed and being just sort of the young girl sitting in the corner and, and all these men. And here we were at a launch where it was celebrating women. And um, I got a bit emotional at that launch. I actually walked out and, and thought, wow, this is actually affecting me. And then at the end, I, you know, I was there on the Gold Coast when the Adelaide Crows won and um, thinking after that made me think of my dad a bit. My dad's been a great influence on me um, personally but also on my career and 
and I have a younger sister. So for my poor footy mad dad who played country footy, he was a captain, a premiership coach, and then he became an umpire. So he's been involved in the game all the way through. He had two daughters and he tried to get me out in the backyard and do a bit of kick to kick. And watching a lot of the games, leaving the games, um, you would see a lot of fathers with their daughters. And a little bit of it made me feel a bit sad because I felt like I would have loved to have shared that sort of experience with my dad and more so sad for my father because I think it would have meant a lot to him. We spent a lot of time at basketball courts throughout my um, my childhood and my sister's the complete opposite to me. Absolutely no interest in sport <laughs> whatsoever. So it's probably why we get on. But um, yeah, so it definitely makes you reflect on your own childhood and maybe that we missed out on a little bit. And I'm just so thrilled for the next generation coming through because it's, um, it's just so exciting. It's about equality. It's changed the game. Absolutely no doubt about it. I think it's changed the way that the AFL clubs are run, the fact that they've got all these females now involved, inviting them in. It's changed the way that the male players are approaching the media. They're absolutely more welcoming. So yeah, it's it's been a, a big sort of season to reflect on and it's also meant I've worked every weekend for the whole year and I'm looking forward to a weekend off. <laughs> you know, it was 237 days ago that they oh. bounced the ball at, um, at Princess Park for that game and you've been working solidly since yeah. then. <laughs> well, I was actually talking to a few people involved with the Adelaide Crows and of course they all had to you know finish their holidays early so they've been going since Christmas as well because uh, a lot of them involved in getting their women's team up and running behind the scenes so it's been go 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 for them Uh, spoke to some people at the Giants on the weekend at the MCG and they're looking forward to a holiday so footy is just uh, 12 months of the year now. (laughs) It is. Kelly you spoke just now uh, quite vividly about how the AFLW has affected you and as a woman, what it felt like, you know, in terms of seeing that gender equality and social change uh, being brought through the game. But I want to cast your mind back a few years and, and, and to talk about something that affected us as women listening to and watching the game. And that is um, a few years ago, you were the first woman ever to commentate an AFL game on Channel 10. It was an absolutely massive moment for us as fans. We were delighted and thrilled to see you do that. But I wonder what it felt like for you on the other side. I guess it was quite a different experience for you in some ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Look, the one word that sums it up was completely overwhelming. And um, I guess unlike a lot of the male commentators that we see now, I wasn't a five-year-old, you know, out there saying I want to be the first female commentator. Almost fell into it in a sense. Um, it's just a set of circumstances. It started at the ABC when they were short a commentator for the Beijing Olympics and the executive producer at the time begged me to go to Sydney and just call a game on news radio. She said, anyone that knows football won't be listening, so you'll be fine. <laughs> so that was great words of encouragement. I did it as a favour for her. She paid me a coffee, so I'll do anything for a coffee. Um, <laughs> got through it. In fact, I called it with uh, an ABC employee who's now working in Darwin, Rob Cross, who lost his voice at three-quarter time and I had to call the entire last quarter by myself. <laughs> anyway, I survived. A huge thrill. I, I remember I couldn't went to the hotel that night, still awake at three in the morning, absolutely buzzing. Um, and the call came through from Beijing during the week. Yes, you survived. You were great. Can you do next Saturday in uh, Sydney again? And the thought of backing up, it was actually Lee Matthews' last game as coach of the Brisbane Lions playing the Swans in Sydney. And he made 11 changes at selection that Thursday night. And so I was commentating these plays that I'd never seen before in my life. But anyway, I got through the two. I was a full-time employee at Channel 10 at the time. And the word had filtered through along the grapevine to my uh, to my 10 boss, head of sport, Dave Barham, that I'd called a couple on radio. And he rang me up and he said, it was a long time ago, send me the uh, CD. <laughs> 
And I hung up and I thought, yeah, right, as if. I know this, where the, I know exactly where this is going, so I'm not going to do it. And I didn't. And he rang me again and uh, about a month later. If I don't have that within a week, you know, w- we're looking at some other sports here on the network. I'm looking at what you might be able to do for us. If you don't get this to me, you know, the, so I sent it. I sent it and, I, and then, of course, the call came. Uh, we're, we're Network 10's broadcasting some pre-season games. We'd like you to call this game Geelong and the Adelaide Crows on the TV. And I said, oh, look, thanks, but no thanks. I, I mean, I knew exactly what I was getting myself in for. So I hung up and I actually just spoke about my father. I rang him straight away and I said, this is crazy. Network 10 want me to do this. And he just sort of said, look, you don't want to regret these things. And we know how the media and footy works. And within, you know, two or three days, yes, it'll be huge, but it'll blow over um, you know, you'll be fish and chip wrapper <laughs> within a couple of days. So I rang him back up and I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And then I remember I had about three months before the call and I, I vowed to myself that every day I would do some sort of prep for over that three months to make sure that I gave myself every chance to get a pass mark. I knew there was no such thing as success, but to get a pass mark. So uh, I did it. I I remember I called with Tim Lane. He called me up and he said, let's have a coffee. I'd never met him. We met on Chapel Street for a coffee. The first thing he said to me was, are you nervous? And I said, no, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm doing okay. I said, what about you? And he said, I've never been so nervous in a footy game in my whole career. (laughs) So that was interesting. At least he was honest. Yeah. Well, so was there moments when you were sitting at home watching old tape, calling it with the sound down, thinking... What are you doing, Kelly? You're a crazy person. Yeah, every day. You may as well be putting your head in the lion's mouth. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I was just like, look, it's a one-off. Uh, let's just do it. Let's deal with it and let's move on. And, of course, I did it and the call came that, hey, uh, the reaction wasn't too bad. It wasn't as bad as we thought. So I did 14 over the, um, I think it was 14 all up over the two years. And it was overwhelming and it polarised and it was hard to deal with the criticism. And my mum called me a few times because she heard what they were talking, saying about me on radio in Adelaide. And I, I mean, I expected all of that and I had to find a way to deal with it. Um, and I guess looking back, I mean, I was judged on my first couple of games. You know, was Bruce McAvaney judged on his first six, seven, eight games, any of the male commentators. So for me, it was all about just getting the ID right. So not getting a player wrong because I knew that they'd jump all over me if I did that. So the last thing you're thinking about, it's, it's such a, a difficult craft to master um, and there's a lot of elements to it. So the last thing I was thinking about was my voice and what I was sounding like um, and I guess, you know, storylines, perfect words and all these sort of things. It was just don't stuff up a number, don't stuff up a number. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I did the two years and then um, sat down with Dave Barham and he said, we're going to go in a different direction. And I, I was really relieved because it became so intense and overwhelming. Mm. But at the same time, of course, I mean, it's only human nature that you feel like you've failed to some extent. And um, ABC have been brilliant. Call came in straight away. We're going to back you in. And I'd, I've just finished my 10th year of calling <laughs> for them on radio. And I called nearly 50 AFL games for them this season. And do you love calling now? I do. It's the, the biggest challenge. It's the hardest thing that I do. And I, I feel like I'm constantly searching for the perfect commentary call. And I don't think I'll ever find it. But I love the challenge. You know, I, I always wanted to be a journalist. I loved English when I was a kid. I love words. I love the challenge of trying to find the right word in the right moment. Um, um, and, yeah, it's an absolute buzz. It's a thrill. I feel like, you know, you go on for three hours and you're a storyteller. You say, hello and welcome, this is what could happen today. And then throughout there's a narrative and you're tying it up at the end. And whatever sport I did, you know, I've 
did netball for eight years. I've done quite a bit of tennis. So I absolutely love the thrill and the buzz and the adrenaline rush that you get with it. And you walk away and I'm never happy. You know, there's always something that I want to work on and improve. It's funny because we saw in the States last week, there was a new Monday night footy. Yes, um, NFL. NFL game and there was a new team. It was a whole new team, but one of the voices was a female voice. And there was a lot of backlash and Twitter is great for that. Obviously, you can, you know, you can mine that. It doesn't take you too long to see what people are saying. But a lot of things that get said are about women's voices and it's actually about the voice. It's about, oh, it just doesn't fit right. It just doesn't gel. It just doesn't make me feel, I don't feel comfortable listening to that and people have this real discomfort. But 10 years down the track... As I listen to you just tell a story, your voice is so comforting and so familiar. You've become the voice of sport in this country to so many women and girls, but also so many men and boys. And you must walk around and think the world has changed so much since you were that child watching Sturt play or, yeah. or whatever. How do you feel that you have this place in the footy landscape? Oh, I don't, I'd never, ever think of that. I'm too busy to think about the next commentary call that I'm doing. But you used a word there which really sums it up, familiar. And when I first started, I listened to myself back and I, I mean... I thought it jarred and it sounded so different because we'd never heard this before. And I often think that um, commentary, it's a little bit like TV news reading and um, it, it's not just warmth that you need as a TV news reader to succeed, but you need that familiarity. It's people being able to switch the TV on every night and feel familiar with the person that's telling them the news. And there's that trust there as well. And so I, I feel that's the same as a sports broadcaster. So once I copped that early criticism, I knew that, you know, the more I copped, the more I dug my heels in a bit because that's probably my personality. But I knew that it would just take time and that I had to develop some sort of trust with the the listeners out there and that they eventually would become familiar with who I was and, and you know, the way that I, I guess, my style and the voice. But... I mean, the voice is interesting, isn't it? Of course, I copped it early days, particularly from the footy world. I called netball for eight years on the TV and not once was my voice mentioned. I've called tennis for not just the ABC, but for BBC Radio for a couple of summers. Not once was that ever an issue. I've called tennis for the host broadcaster for the last couple of years. So it's only been AFL footy. And, you know, I sometimes think, you know, for all the words that are used to describe the voice, there are former footballers out there and their voice greats. But, you know, is that ever raised? So when I started in radio, I worked at 3AW here for many years. And, you know, the, the, the amount of times that I've been told oh, women just don't like listening to women on radio, it's an absolute cop out and it's coming from a male manager. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just, but it's, it's part of the deal. Do they have women's toilets at 3AW? Uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> They do. They do have women's toilets at 3AW. They have uh, just the one woman's toilet at uh, Etihad Stadium and I can never get in there. Mm. And uh, until this year it changed when there were more women involved in the commentary. But the amount of times we, we are definitely going off track at quarter time where I'm waiting and I'm going, goodness me, this woman's in the toilet for a very long time. <laughs> And it's uh, a high-profile former footballer that usually walks out and then I get to use that one and only women's toilet. Mm, talk about feeling out of place in a predominantly <laughs> male space. Welcome. Hey? <laughs>
Kelly, you mentioned earlier that commentary is a real skill. It's a real craft. It's an art. And I think especially on the radio where you're trying to convey to an audience who doesn't always have the visual imagery there how plays unfolding and flowing and where the ball is and and all of those things. And we've spent a bit of time on this podcast making fun of some commentary um, <laughs> clangers. You know, it's all in good, good fun. But I do need to ask you a question. Can you confirm or deny this? There is a rumour, I think it's started by Andy Marr, that Andy Marr invented... <laughs> The phrase "spot fires," the little spot fires. Spot, did he? <laughs> now, is this? Can I you didn't know that. I worked that with this... Andy for a couple of only just those ten or ten calls. Um, there you go. I've learned that. I didn't know, but that is a commonly used phrase, isn't have it? Have you used spot fires? Uh, I think I probably have. Yeah. I'm going to let you in on something here because Andy is my husband, yes. as some people would know. When he brings that up, which is often, and yeah. I call him Spot Fires Ma, <laughs> I then also remind him that he sounds a lot like David Brent in The Office when David says, you know, wanky very much. That's one of mine. <laughs> same shit. Same shit, different days. That's funny because um, that's funny you say that. Um, you try and develop your own style and be your own person. But I sat in the 3W commentary box for two years with Rex Hunt. And uh, uh, before I got the gig on ABC, when they threw me that sort of into the deep end, he just as a one-off for a quarter made, it was a bit of a publicity stunt, but I sat with him and called football. So in the early days when I was learning it, and, and I was on radio, every now and then I'd go to say, oh, he's higher than Joe Cocker or, you know, <laughs> all the Rexisms because you're yeah. listening to it and it's ingrained in your brain for two straight years. Yes. I kept having these Rexisms pop into my <laughs> head and I thought, my goodness, how embarrassing. I'm going to go on the radio and everyone thinks I'm trying to be a mini Rex. But the, sometimes this language comes out and you think, because it's so instant, it's so quick. And uh, and you sort of catch yourself and say, don't say that, don't say that. Yeah. But um, centimetre perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Cal, you are a crow. Yes, I am. How I you try feeling? to keep that quiet. Uh, I'm excited. I'm just super excited. And what a great story. I mean, everything that this team's been through and this club's been through. So um, no, I'm just super excited. It's taken me back to my childhood a little bit this week, just reflecting on you know the fact when they won in in '97 and '98 and what I was doing and. Um, the family over in Adelaide super excited. So, um, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a big afternoon. Can we ask you, do you have a tip? I know you're, a, you're professional and you're impartial <laughs> and so on, but as a professional, what is your tip? No, I'm going with the Crows. I'm yep. not really nervous about it. I think they've been the best team. I think they're little, probably their midfield's underrated a little bit and, uh, and their defence is underrated a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm tipping the Crows. And for the Norm Smith? Richard Douglas. Oh, Interesting. Okay. That's a little bit out of left field. Mm. Since you said tip the crows, I think you're going to need a security escort to get out of here because <laughs> your producer and our producer, Tess, who's a notorious, loud, uh, vocal tiger, is just throwing her paperwork well, everywhere. I just I hosted a lunch in the city yesterday in uh, sort of, you know, the corporate world, go up in the big building, up, the, up to the lift, right up to the very top, and I walked into the function room and it was just all yellow and black balloons. And uh, and half the room were Tigers supporters. And I thought, do I be- keep this quiet or do I say it right off the top? So I said it right off the top. I was the only South Australian in the room and the only Crows <laughs> supporter. They booked me in before they realised that it was the Crows playing in the grand final. So I'm sure they were thrilled to have you, as we were. Thank you so much Thanks, for telling Kelly. us your story and good luck. Thanks for having me. Can't wait. It'll be huge. One thing that featured as prominently during the Brownlow as Bruce popping up and surprising Dusty Martin every time. I thought he was going to jump out of a cake at one point. Oh, my goodness. 
It's like grandpa in my pocket. <laughs> I do love a bit of Bruce, <laughs> but if, I'd get a fright if he was doing that to me all the time. One other thing that popped up a lot was gambling ads. I really was starting to think, watching it, that maybe the broadcast of the Brownlow was just interrupting the gambling ads. It, it, that is exactly it. Is that how it felt to you as well? Mm. Yeah. And I couldn't tell whether it was just because I was watching it with a 10-year-old who was, mm. for the first time, saying to me, what does that mean? Like when they say head-to-head or when they say, you know. Multi. M- exactly. And I can't answer that. But um, I ended up sending him to bed and recording it and saying, we'll, we'll fast forward through the ads and, and watch it tomorrow. And um, I was a little surprised because I did make a comment about it on Twitter and I got a few people come back and suggest that I was doing a disservice to my son. That's all oh, people should know about statistics and those sorts of things and, and that. But, you know, generally the, the theme out there was everybody was sort of feeling the same that night watching it. It was, it was quite... Ugly, I thought. I was livid. I was actually livid. Um, I've my family has been affected by gambling, and I I certainly know other people strongly affected by gambling. It made me completely, you know, um, enraged because it, it's not that one or two ads came on. That's okay. You expect it. That's just part of the game. But just to have a barrage the whole time in between, it was so many. I don't know. I lost count at yeah. how many. And it was just saying, this is normal. This is okay. This is the way people behave and this is the way people should spend their lives. And the, football has got nothing to do with it. And I'm really pissed off. Exactly. Especially around the celebration of an award for the you know, the the idea of this sort of ultimate athlete who is fair and best and wonderful and let's all vote on and we'll bet on whether he's going to get two votes in the next round or yeah. so-and-so's going to get well, What happens is it just intrinsically links gambling with sport yeah. and it just in people's minds and and, and really normalises it. Yes. And that's where I think it's really problematic. Mm. And yeah. I think a tagline that says gamble responsibly also really diminishes how big the problem is. Yeah. It's saying here's one line saying take care of yourself when you're doing it, but the problem is so much greater than that mm. that it's like saying you know, don't Stacked. run with scissors. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Well, no. even if it was alcohol, it's just continually the whole time you would yeah. have it, it was a barrage of it and mm. and I think for something so beautiful as the Brownlow and celebrating such a great game that it was just so out of place and I don't know who we're angry at is it Channel 7 I don't know because it's certainly I, I, I would love to know how the AFL feel about it anyway one thing that was wonderful that I did see this week was a movie called Outsiders, which is it follows the Western Bulldogs. It's a fly-on-the-wall kind of doco, but it's going to be released as a feature film that you can see at cinema. So a big screen experience of the 2015-16 seasons of the Western Bulldogs. I just It just blew me away. It made me feel that where I've often felt that AFL is not represented in those great sports movies that make you cry and you ride the highs and lows with... It really did that. It fulfilled in me a bit of a field of dreams, <laughs> you know, a bit remember of a... Remember the Titans. Yeah, remember <laughs> the Titans, 30 for 30, all those types of um, franchises and, and movie experiences. I would absolutely encourage you to see it, whether you're a Bulldog fan or not. Probably not one for the Swans fans out there, that's all. But, you know, everyone else will love it. The takeaways for me were, and I think you guys are all going to like it. When I say you guys, I mean the people who are Sanctimers. Bob is a movie star. (laughs) We talked about he's a poet and he's a Renaissance man and all those things. But this movie hinges on him and the inner, 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 inner sanctum that Adrian Brown, the filmmaker, was kind of allowed to be involved in and lots of times of him in the car with Bob just getting his thoughts on his way to training and also with Bevo and it's unprecedented and it's pretty beautiful because Bob doing the talking, you feel like 
you really someone's got you know got it all under control. The other thing that you're going to love is there are a lot of omens in this movie. <laughs> so many omens. We're not crazy. I think even they were relying on omens to get them over the line. But the thing that got me so much more thrilled is that in this inner inner sanctum they talked about the outer, outer sanctum, that the minute that they won the grand final, Bevo was saying, did you see those people out there? Did you see what you've done for those people out there? And it meant so much as a fan to see how much we matter to them because we talk about how much they matter to us, but this was a club that was hinged and their heart was attached to the people in the outer and it was a true love story. I highly recommend that you go and see it. One person who featured in it and who just lit up the screen was Jordan Roughhead, along with all of his other teammates. But Jordan Roughhead has a really beautiful turn of phrase and is a man who leads with his heart and it was just so great that we were recently able to catch up with him. Jordan Roughhead, it is so nice to have you in the Stu Stu studio with us on Grand Final Week because you've actually been, well, just this time last year, you were gearing up for the Grand Final Parade. Yeah, we would have been. Well, what's today's Thursday, isn't it? So yeah, yeah uh, Friday last year we were um, in front of 180 or 200,000 people or whatever it was and having the time of our lives. Was, were you nervous the whole time? Was that grand final feeling in the pit of your stomach, even when you're on those deck chairs on the back of the Utes? Um, when it got to that point, I was nervous. But for me, the build-up was a bit funny because I had I hurt my eye in the um, the preliminary final against the Giants, so I was sort of unsure whether I was even going to be playing or not until uh, post training on the Thursday. Um, so, so I guess my experience of grand final weeks. Pretty pretty different to, to most guys, and, and I was more nervous about am I going to actually get up and be able to play than I was about um, playing in front of what turned out to be just about 100,000 people. What's the parade like? So you've got sort of a dodgy it's eye. It's insane. It's insane. <laughs> could you see people? Yeah, you, you could. It was. It's actually amazing how many people you would pick out in the crowd. I had some family there, some aunties and uncles, mum and dad, and my brother came down, and just good family friends that I hadn't seen in a long time, and. They'd all managed to get their work their way right up onto the fence. So along the way, I, I did spot a few people. But I think for us, the the most incredible thing about it was it felt like we had the whole country supporting us. So I say there was 180 or, or however many people were there, and it, it honestly felt like 170,000 of them were there supporting us, which was, I think, a really unique thing. And, and I guess the, the Richmond boys will experience a fair bit of that um, when they're out there in the, the back of the Utes tomorrow. We've heard heaps of chat about how noisy the Tigers fans are. When you are on the ground on grand final day and the noise is, you know, at its peak, can you really not hear You can't hear each other. Can you Can you signal to each other? What's What's that experience like? It's it's overwhelming. Like the, all of your senses are pretty uh, pretty well overwhelmed on on the day. Um, but but they they are as as the the year goes by anyway. Like even at Eddie had with thirty thousand people there, it is quite hard to to hear your teammates. And when the when it's a good atmosphere and, and the game's exciting, you you often miss the the umpires' whistles and, and things like that. So it, I don't think it's uh, any harder the the on field communication on grand final day. But you you obviously have to be um, use your eyes a lot more and just be more aware of where your teammates are. And I'm sure both Richmond and Adelaide, the players on each team, will know their own game plans so well that 
they know what they're expected to do just about every second of the game, uh, regardless. Can you get in your own way by thinking about too much, the adrenaline kicking, you overthink things? How do you cope with the day itself? Uh, Rob Murphy's got a great sort of analogy that he likes to describe playing any game with, and that's that the, the two minutes before the game, you sort of it's like you're standing on the edge of a cliff about to jump and, and you don't know whether your shoot's going to open or not. And I, I guess for me, it was kind of that exact same feeling. So I will either go out here and I perform reasonably well and we win and everyone's happy with me or I'll go out here today and I absolutely stink it up and we lose and um, no Bulldog supporter ever wants to see my face ever again. So it's it's kind of a bizarre feeling, but I was pretty flat because I'm a big Living End fan and they were playing on the day and I obviously wasn't, uh, wasn't able to get up there and listen to them play. You just mentioned Bob Murphy and, um, I mean, you are a premiership player you're from the Lee and Gatha elite roughhead family, which is, you know, just like a royal family down there, <laughs> I suppose. You're an all-round good guy, and we want to get to some of the social stuff that you do as well, but you're actually now also a movie star because <laughs> Outsiders is a new movie, which I saw on Tuesday. You saw it too. And on the big screen, the Bulldog story of the 2015 and 16 seasons comes to life, and Bob Murphy plays a really integral role in that. I mean, we've all heard about the impact that he makes on the players, but here you actually, as an outsider, get to see it. We've heard that some stuff that Bob said to you made you fall back in love with the game. Can you tell us what that was? Yeah, I guess I'm probably... The, the thing for me, I'm not a typical footballer. Like, I don't I don't necessarily love the game and, and my week doesn't um, revolve around playing on the weekend. Um, and I got to a point where I was in some ordinary form and I guess I'd just fallen out of love with the game a little bit and... Murph took me across the road, just in uh, in Footscray, across the road from the Footy Oval, and we went and had a coffee. And he sat me down, and he just said, "Look, you don't you don't have to love the game, but you have to find what you love in the game, like little parts of it, moments in it um, that that get you up in the morning and make you want to come to training and and make you actually want to go out there and, and play on the weekends." And that was probably, I guess, it would have been 2013 season when um, we were struggling as a team and weren't weren't winning too many games, but. I think it sort of turned my career around. I probably would have ended up as a 60 or 70 game player and thrown out on the scrap heap. But the thing that I loved about it, and I worked this out post that conversation, was that I just loved being out there with my teammates and I'd just about do anything for them. And um, I guess that's a great part of one of the, the roles of a ruckman that I love the most is that you do have to play that sort of protective and fatherly figure to, to some of the younger guys if... Um, opposition teams go and try and rough them up or, or get under, under their skin. That's how we run the pod. <laughs> yeah. What was it like when Bob announced that he was retiring? How'd that feel? Um, it's probably not the answer that you're going to expect, but I, I guess I knew for 12 months that that was going to be Murph's last one. I don't know how comfortable he'd be with me saying this, but even in um, February prior to the season just gone, there was a part of me that was going, Murph could come in any day and, and pull the pin. Um, just say I've had enough and, and I don't want to keep going because he's um, he was an integral integral part of that 2015-2016 rebuild and as as much as he'd probably denied it, it would have been really devastating to not be out there and, and obviously not uh, be able to play on, on the biggest stage and, and do what he's spent the last 16, 17 years trying to work up to and it yeah it, it, it did really hurt him and I, I guess he, he didn't know what his place was at the club um, anymore and we we certainly needed him. He um he was such a, a huge, not just player but um, figure around the club, and and he's a part of the the four walls. He's part of the furniture mm. there. So hopefully he'll be back through throughout the the next few years as well. This year probably wasn't exactly the year that 
you guys wanted for the Bulldogs. And I think everyone was quite surprised with how the season rolled out for you guys. There was a lot of comparisons between this year for you guys in 2009 for Hawthorne. Have you spoken to Jared Ruffhead um, about that? Not about that, no, but I'd be pretty happy if we were following that same plan. Yeah. What a day they went 2008 flag, 2009 missed out, and then back to back to back a few years You're later. You're about so to get three premierships. I've just got to hold on just for hold on. the next few years and I'll be all right. <laughs> on that, how long do you think you have? You know, how, how long can this game sustain you? Oh, that's a tough question. The big hitters. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like uh, Because I've fallen, I've fallen back in love with it and, and found the, the bits of it that I love, um, I'd, I'd probably like to go until till I'm 30. I'm 20, about to turn 27, so I'll start another three or four years. Mm. So uh, time for back-to-back-to-back. To back to time back. for back-to-back-to-back. Mm. To back to back. And if we feel like we're getting close, maybe back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. Yeah. Is that full? Something like that. That'd be nice. You'd need a whole litter of puppy premierships. Yes. That's what you'd need. Correct. Hey, at the Brownlow this week, interestingly, there's always a lot of focus on the partners. You took Darcy who you know through the ladder program, you do a lot of, I've seen you be really vocal about marriage equality and um, obviously a really big supporter of ladder. What is it that drives your social awareness and the fact that you actually give your time to these social programs? Why do you do that? I think just because I'm in a real position of privilege and I've had a a really nice life. Like I come from a great family. Mum and dad were terrific. I've got an older brother who we all love each other very much and not all people come from that sort of background. I went to a school that I loved. I grew up in Ballarat, which is a fantastic community. Um, and then I turned 18 and found myself playing AFL football and getting paid pretty well. And I think it took a few years because my your first few years at a footy club, you worry about getting a kick and trying to get a game and then how you're going to go. And so, yeah, probably till 2009 to 2012 or 13, I was that's, that's all I worried about. And then Lucas Markovic and Ed Barlow who I played with at the Bulldogs, moved on and took up positions at, at Ladder, um, working there, and I really respected those guys and thought, I'm not so worried about myself anymore and why don't I try and um, leave a, a positive impact on, on the communities I'm in and help out as many people as I can while I am lucky enough to, to be living my dream. Tell us about Ladder. Yeah, so Ladder is a, um, it's a charity that was started by the, the AFL Players Association. Some of the guys... Um, wanted to, to leave a positive impact. And so now uh, every time a player steps out onto an AFL field, they donate $25 of their match payment to the charity, um, which doesn't seem like a lot of money. But if you do the math, it's 22 by 18. Do you want a calculator? It's a lot of, it's a lot of money every week. Um, and Ladder is a, a program that um, they support youth or people at risk of youth homelessness. So they have a few residences around Australia that that young people can go and live at. Um, subsidised costs and, and be part of this program and, and a part of the program for two years. Um, and it basically aims to re-engage them with society with the, the hope that at the end of that two-year period, they'll be able to get into some permanent housing and have a job or, or be back in education and um, back on track to, to having a really positive, happy life. It's so good to see you making a difference there because, I mean, there's been so much talk this week about how sport shouldn't be political, but actually... <laughs> You're grinning as I say that. But you you understand that you've got a much bigger megaphone than a lot of people in this country. Yeah, well, I was, I was listening to um, Dylan Alcott on Mornings this morning and he was talking about Manu Ginobili who said yesterday that just because we're athletes doesn't mean that we should be quiet on these political issues. Um, and a lot of them I don't see as political issues. Like, is marriage equality a political issue? No, it's a basic human right. Like, for me, that's that's how I look at it. 
Um, I'm not particularly vocal about it, but I'm more than happy to to show my support where I can. Yeah. Just thinking of Darcy at the Brownlow, was he just freaking out? Was he just, you know, peak excitement? <laughs> no, it was actually, he's an incredible kid. So Darcy, uh, I don't think Darcy's a part of the, the ladder program anymore, but he's kind of one of the, the really great success stories. He spent, he was 17, he was homeless, um, entered the, the ladder program three years ago, and he's just recently got his, uh, got a full-time job working in aged care down in Geelong. He was a, a fantastic participant in the program and being able to take him to the Brown on, on Monday night was, was great for me and was a fantastic reward for him for being such a, a successful person in the program. Um, and, I, and I said to him on the night, I said, what I'd love for you is that you can become an alumni and, and at some point mentor a, a young person who finds himself in a similar situation to, to what you were in um, all those years ago. And I think the, the funniest thing for me, like you asked if it was overwhelming for him, we, we went down to Sam & Co because Sam was looking after me for fitting me out with a suit on, uh, on Brownlow night and, um, and he helped Darcy out as well and um, we were in the shop and, and Gary Ablett walked in and even I, like I'm a little bit starstruck still by some of the big names. <laughs> uh, so Gary Ablett walked in and I sort of went, oh, g'day Gary, how you going? Uh, whatever. <laughs> and I just wandered off and was talking to some of the guys from the PA who were filming a piece and all of a sudden I looked over and Darcy walked straight up to Gary Ablett and just went, G'day, Gary, I'm Darcy. How you doing? And I was just like, oh, OK. This kid knows what he's doing. That's a good date yeah. for Brownlow. He's done well. You don't have to look he's after him. Well. Yeah. Hey, um, we know that you coach women's footy as well with the VU Spurs. We've heard a rumour that you have done recovery with the girls. I like to think it's every week. It's probably not the way it rolls out. But why, why do you opt to go and do recovery with the girls after you've played as well? Well, it was... it. That might have grown legs a little bit. I've, I think I've done recovery with the girls once. We played on the Saturday. Uh, they were playing on the Sunday down in Williamstown. Uh, I hadn't done my recovery yet, and they were heading down to the beach to just stand in the water, so I thought, well, I may as well join them and get down there. What have you learnt from female footy? That's probably another one of the the things that's helped me fall in love, back in love with the game is, is just being involved in women's footy because it's so raw and the, the people involved are so genuine. Um, a lot of the time in my experience, is going out to, to male footy clubs. People think they know or can think they know better than you or don't rate you as a player, so don't tend to listen. But because you've been playing footy for 15 years and some of these women might have been playing footy for 15 days, they're, they're, they really are like a sponge. They want to hear everything you've got to say and will soak it up and just want to improve and want to... The, the, best, the most talented ones want a chance to, to play on the biggest stage. So, they're yeah, they're, they're so keen that... You can't help but um, but really appreciate it. So what does having an AFLW club mean to the Bulldogs? Has it changed the atmosphere or is it just another representation of the great club? I think it is a representation of the great club. Most people, if you ask them who the one of the, the biggest community clubs is in the AFL, would probably respond to the Bulldogs. Um, and, and we've been a part of, along with Melbourne, been part of women's footy for... Quite a long time now. I think were there. Th- I think there were three years before the AFLW came in that, that that we had these exhibition games between the Dogs and the Ds. And I think it's great, um, great reward for someone like Sue Alberti, who's been a, an ambassador for for women's football at least as long as I've been at the club, and and a lot longer as well. And um, and also Debbie Lee, who I work with at the the VU Spurs, who played over three hundred games of women's footy, women's footy, and won a lot of uh, league best and fairest. And he's not a household name because. When she was playing, women's footy wasn't uh, wasn't something that was celebrated. Mm. She's a massive fan of yours. 
I'm a massive fan of hers. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're preaching to the converted here. <laughs> hey, um, before we let you go, have you got a tip for this weekend? I mean, it's hard when you're in Victoria because there's just so much Tigers talk and it's a very romantic notion, especially off the back of the Bulldogs. But from a player's perspective, who do you think's got the game? Oh, if you'd asked me a few days ago, I probably would have said Adelaide, but... Richmond are riding this massive wave of momentum in a similar way to, to what we were last year, that um, there are going to be 90,000 Richmond supporters there. And if they can, can get off to a, a good start and kick a couple of goals early like they were, were able to last week, I think they're going to be very, very hard to stop. I can't let you go without asking this. In a mud wrestle, who would win, Jared or you? <laughs> <laughs> he'd fight dirty, so he'd probably win. <laughs> well, that bodes well for the Hawks. Yeah. I was going to end with this. Do you know how much you look like Ryan Gosling? Yeah. Not in a creepy way, but when you're talking, you look so much like him. Um, That that sounds like a compliment, so I'll take that. Yeah. Take it. It is. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Just a reminder, if you're on your way to the ground or the game this weekend, grab your badge for ladder because we know what a huge difference that organisation is making. We are short, one short Nicole Hayes, and we've missed her so terribly the last couple of weeks, but sounds like she's actually missing all of us a lot too, Alicia. She is, and uh, this is a great letter from her um, because she's in the US with her family, and she says, so strange being away for the grand final. It's like it doesn't even exist here. I feel unmoored, all floaty and distant. I'd always known the footy was really important to me, but I didn't realise how integral it is to my sense of time and how I understand and connect with everything, really, culture, ceremony, occasion and people. You guys, obviously. But even my sense of place in the world. I can watch and catch up on chat or even follow it live at times. But it's more than that that's missing. It's the sense that it's everything to so many people the way the calendar hinges on it, how it's the great divider in the year. For the week, everything else is paused while we catch our breath and wait for the day, that first siren, the first bounce. No one is waiting here. No one cares. And it's thrown me. I knew this, of course, on some level, but I hadn't appreciated how much it matters to me. It's my anchor and I'm missing it terribly. Oh, Nick. Nick. That's why she's the novelist. (laughs) It actually leads into something that I just wanted to make reference to and there's a lot of people out there who do tell the time by the grand final and in Tigers supporters and also in Crows supporters in the time since they have last been at the big dance, so many of people's loved ones have had to say goodbye to fans of Tigers and fans of Crows who are no longer here. And I just wanted to do a massive shout-out to those people because I know that the names and the and the feeling of familiarity about going to games with Tigers and Crows fans who may have died in the time that they, you know, last were at the grand final will be rattling around with people. And I think it's a really emotional experience and I don't think one that's often talked about. So I just wanted to recognise those people who have left us since the last time and say strength and love to all the people who are missing Tigers and Crows fans this time of year. Felicity. Yes. You have taken up the mantle of, I have been doing my um, Indigenous education piece, (laughs) but you've got something special for us today. Yes, I've bullied you out of it just because I wanted to just make a mention of what Adam Goods is currently doing. 
if you haven't been watching his um, his sort of socials and him in the paper, he is cycling with a whole group of people from Perth to Broome to raise money for the Black Dog Institute, which is all about shining a light on mental illness. They've got 65 bike riders who are representing the 65,000 people who attempt suicide in Australia every year. And it's all about raising funds and awareness for that. And I just wanted to do a big shout out to to him for doing that and have a look at how you can support that. Maybe if you thought it was wrong that he got booed out of the game, you Mm. could make a little donation. Mm, Exactly. Send some support. And if you booed him, pay double. How's that? Yeah. Okay, let's get this party started. I want your tips. I want your tips for the grand final. I want your tips for the Norm Smith. And I want you to give me how excited you are out of 10 about hearing Mike Brady. No, is he even performing? I don't know if he's even... He did not get the... You didn't get the call up? I'm oh, sure. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to come to you first, Dr. Kate. It's a big call for your family, but what's your tip for the GF? Well, all year I thought Adelaide would, would do the AFL M, AFL W double, mm-hmm. but I'm jumping on the Richmond um, bandwagon because I think they've got momentum. So Richmond for me and Samwise Gamgee, also <laughs> known as Dusty Martin for the Norm Smith. Lucy Race, you've well, got some skin in the game. I do have some skin in the game. So I am, and I've been on the Tigers for quite some time, I'd like it noted, but I'm <laughs> continuing to stay on the Tigers. I believe that they're going to do it. And I believe that the Norm Smith might be going to Daniel Rioli. Mm, Have a little nice. Daniel Rioli badge. I shall be talking to it. Alicia, sometimes. I've always loved Richmond, but I'm going to say Adelaide by about 14 points, maybe, give or take. And if Eddie Betts was a team, I'd barrack for him. Oh, yes. So, yeah. Norm Smith. Absolutely. Felicity? Oh, I hate coming after Alicia because I want to say exactly the same thing. That's right. You I, can. Snap. Snap. What will please Richmond supporters, though, is I have not got a tip right all year. So <laughs> I'm currently, I, I think Adelaide's going to get there, and I would love to see Eddie get up and, and win that medal. Does that mean that I have to break yeah, the decider? Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, my God, it's a our draw. Is Look watching. at Tess, our tiger producer's got her head in her hands. What's She's in your heart? Eagerly. What does your heart say? For me, Norm Smith, Trent Cotchen. Ooh, Frodo. From the grand final winning team of Richmond. I'm sorry to Crows fans out there. I really did want to see the double. I think it's a great story either way, Mm. but I want it to come down to the line. I'm saying Tigers by nine. That reoccurring (laughs) number nine nine. will come back and give them the ultimate success. And it will not be the end of the world. It will be the start of a brand new world. And when we wake up on Sunday morning and the world will be a different colour no matter what. Thank you so much for joining us this year. We are going to have a special post-grand final episode for you. It won't be like what you've been hearing for the last couple of weeks. It's going to be something a little bit different and a little bit special and a little bit of a hark back to the origins of this podcast. That's correct. We'll be broadcasting from a car. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Go footy. Go Go footy. footy. Grand final. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.